0: Uh, Well, friends, uh, I don't know about you, but I love doing jigsaw puzzles. Uh, Last holidays, I bought a a 1,000-piece jigsaw puzzle to do with my family. Uh, The picture on the box was uh, of one of those grand castles in England. And we spent many happy hours uh, putting the little pieces together. Uh, And it's true, isn't it, that you cannot put a puzzle together without that big picture on the box. You can't begin to work out how all the little pieces fit together without that big picture. Uh, Now, I want to suggest uh, that the same is true of our lives. Uh, We need a big picture or a big story about this world to make sense of our lives. Without it, we cannot answer the big questions Uh, Things like, where have I come from? Or, why am I here? Or, where is all this going? Uh, For many people, the big picture of the world, the big picture story, is given by a particular religion they follow. Uh, Most world religions put forward a view about the origins of the world and where this world is heading, and they purport to... Uh, tell you what your life should be about. For others, uh, the big picture is supplied by a f- particular philosophy about about this world. Uh, things like Marxism or Modernism or any other ism that purports to tell you how to make this world better and where this world is heading. However, uh, it is true, isn't it, that in more recent times, uh, our society in general has Uh, almost abandoned uh, this idea of a big picture. It has abandoned the idea that there may be a big story to this world, a true story that makes sense of our lives. Uh, One Christian writer says of those in the West, there is no centre to hold things together anymore. Or to put it differently, there is no meta-narrative, no big story to life, no overarching story by which all the particulars can be interpreted. And so, uh, with no big picture or nothing bigger than ourselves to live for, our society has descended into selfish individualism and the pursuit of pleasure, simply living for ourselves or perhaps simply living for our families, but nothing more. And the common experience of our society as a result has actually not been a growing sense of meaningfulness, but actually a growing sense of meaninglessness. Uh, I think G.K. Chesterton put it well when he said, meaninglessness does not come from being weary of pain, but actually meaninglessness comes from being weary of pleasure. Friends, what is your big picture of this world? What is your understanding of uh, where everything is heading in this world, so that you might be able to make meaningful decisions about the details of your life and my life? Uh, We've been looking at the Book of Isaiah. Uh, It's been a a long journey, hasn't it? Uh, And well done uh, for sticking with it uh, for the last few months. Uh, We are now at the very end of the book, Uh, and I want to suggest that in the Book of Isaiah, God has actually been laying out a big picture of where this whole world is heading. Uh, It's been it's been there all along. We've seen it again and again. But in this final chapter of Isaiah, the big vision of where God is taking this world uh, comes to us in in vivid colors. Uh, You can see it there in verse 22. Uh, Grab your Bibles and turn with me to chapter 66, verse 22. Chapter 66, verse 22. Uh, It says there, For as the new heavens and the new earth that I make shall remain before me, says the Lord, so shall your offspring and your name remain. From new moon to new moon and from Sabbath to Sabbath, all flesh shall come to worship for me, says the Lord. You see, God is making a, a new heavens and a new earth. The unfaithful city of Jerusalem, which we saw at the beginning of Isaiah, will one day be transformed into this wonderful new city of God. Indeed, a new creation altogether. The extraordinary promise of God in Isaiah is that he is making a new world and he is populating this new world with his people so that they might enjoy his blessing forever and ever. However, I want you to notice that uh, this final chapter of Isaiah is really all about the people that God is going to populate this new world with. The people that he is going to populate this new world with. Uh, Who are these people, you might ask? Well, perhaps surprisingly, uh, you can see in verse 1, chapter 66, verse 1, that it is not necessarily the religious-looking people of this world. Uh, You can see there that it is not necessarily the ones who dedicate themselves to building God's uh, house or his temple. It is not them who will find themselves in the new world. Uh, now this, of course, does not mean that God was against building the, temp- the, the, the house or the temple uh, in the history of Israel. Uh, if you remember, uh, he didn't oppose the building of the temple uh, in, in Solomon's day. Yeah, he didn't oppose the building of the temple uh, after the people returned to Jerusalem from the exile in Babylon. And so, friends, it is not the building of the temple that God is questioning here. But uh, it is possible, isn't it, to do the outward religious-looking thing but to have little inner desire to listen to God's word and to be obedient to what he has to say. Now, that's why I think the end of verse 2 is such a key verse For who is the one whom God will look at? Whom is the one that God will show favor to? Who is the one who will belong to the the new heavens and the new earth? Well, God says in verse 2, But this is the one to whom I will look, he who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. To be humble means to lower yourself before God. To be contrite in spirit uh, literally means to be lame. To come before God and to realize that you actually have no spiritual leg to stand on. To tremble at God's word is to be reverent in the way we listen to him and obey the things that he says. You see, friends, what God is saying here is that the outward worship of him... Without a humble and contrite heart that trembles before him and his word is meaningless to God, the one who created all things. You can see it there in verse 3, which describes someone going to the temple to offer sacrifices. Um, He who slaughters an ox is like one who kills a man, it says. He who sacrifices a lamb like one who breaks a dog's neck. He who presents a grain offering like one who offers pig's blood. He who makes a memorial offering of frankincense like one who blesses an idol. Uh, Imagine a a man, uh, friends, who goes around breaking dogs' necks. Uh, I don't recommend uh, any of us do that, by the way. But uh, imagine someone who, whenever he sees a dog, uh, he goes and he breaks their neck. Uh, Why on earth would you do such a thing, you would say, wouldn't you? I mean, it's such a meaningless activity, breaking the necks of dogs. It's such a useless and meaningless activity. Uh, But that's what God says about the worship of someone who does not tremble before his word. It's meaningless. It's like breaking a dog's neck. Your religious sacrifices are like murder to me, says God in verse 3. Whatever sacrifices you bring, they are as unclean as pig's blood. Whatever offering you bring, it's like idolatry. I hate such sacrifices, says God. I detest it and I will judge those for whom this is true so that in verse 4, all their fears will come upon them. Uh, When I was in high school, uh, I remember going to church uh, every now and then. Uh, Actually, I was busy with uh, many other priorities in my life. But in my great arrogance, I felt that uh, every now and then, if I go to church and uh, I give God the pleasure of my presence and uh, I drop a few coins in the box, uh, then I was doing something for God. I wasn't really interested in listening to God's word, Uh, God's word was not a feature of my life uh, after I left the church service. I decided in my heart what my life was going to be about and that God didn't have much of a place, but I felt I could contribute a little bit to the cause and that God would be pleased with me. But can you see, friends, that God says, I detest that kind of worship? It's as useless as giving $5 to Bill Gates. I hate it, says God. In our churches, uh, I'm sure we have people who come to church religiously but leave week after week with no intention to listen to God's word and obey what he says. And again, God says, I hate it. I hate that kind of worship. In the media, uh, we've seen recently Supposedly Christian ministers who come with their religious garb. Espousing a view of marriage and human sexuality that is totally against what God says. And again, God would say, I detest what you are doing. No, the ones who will inhabit the new heavens and the new earth are the ones who humble themselves and are contrite in spirit and who tremble at God's word. Are you and I people who lower ourselves before God and who tremble before him, wanting to do what he says? And so, uh, those who will inhabit God's new world are the humble and they are the lame in spirit, It is those who revere God and the things that he says. But how will they come into this new world? How will they come to be a part of this new world? Well, from verse 7 onwards, you can see that the the scene now changes from the temple to the maternity ward. Uh, There is a, a birth going on in these verses. But it's a highly symbolic birth because uh, it's not actually uh, a normal woman giving birth to a child. Uh, rather, it is Zion, or the city of Jerusalem, who is about to give birth in these verses. Uh, notice three things about this this birth. Uh, firstly, in verse seven, it is a miraculous birth. Uh, the baby is out even before labour starts. There is delivery even before the pain. Now, wouldn't that be wonderful if uh, we can deliver babies without labor? Uh, it's, it's almost uh, the, like the reversal of the labor pains that, was in, that were introduced at the fore. Uh, secondly, in verse 8, this is not just the birth of one child, but it is the birth of a nation or, or a multitude of people. Uh, And thirdly, in verse 9, God says that he will see this birth to completion. Uh, It's almost as though God is a a midwife here. Uh, I will make sure that this baby will be born successfully, says God. Uh, When my wife and I had our second baby, uh, we had an obstetrician uh, who looked after us uh, all the way to the nine-month mark. But uh, just as our baby was about to be born... Uh, he went on holidays. Um, thankfully, nothing went wrong, uh, but uh, we kind of thought, well, you know, if something goes on and he's not there, what's going to happen? Uh, but God is saying here that he's not going away. He's committed to this birth, and he will see it through. Uh, now, friends, uh, what can this miraculous birth uh, that Isaiah is describing in these verses be about? Uh, what, what can this birth be referring to? Uh, I wonder whether you can just uh, turn to the uh, person sitting next to you and have a think about what, what uh, he might be referring to here. Uh, I'll give you a few moments just to think about it. Um, and then we'll come back together. Uh, all right, uh, that's enough time. Uh, who thinks they've, uh, they've cracked it? Uh, what is this miraculous birth referring to? You know, I'm brave enough to venture, venture an answer. The coming, the coming of Jesus, yeah. Could be that. Who thinks it's the coming of Jesus? A few, a few timid hands are going up. Yep. Anyone think differently? The new, Jerusalem. the new Jerusalem. Who said that? Oh, thank you, John. Why, why do you think it's the New Jerusalem? Yeah. Uh, so yeah. So it might be the birth of, of the New Jerusalem that, that is being talked about here. Uh, who thinks it's the new Jerusalem? Naomi thinks it's the new Jerusalem, so it must be right. Um, yeah, I, I, I think it's, it's, it's the new Jerusalem. Um, I think what it's talking about is, uh, you know, uh, hundreds of years after Isaiah writes uh, what he writes here, um, certainly the, the Jesus is born miraculously, isn't he? Uh, he's, born, uh, he's born through the, the womb of a, a virgin, Uh, But it is through those humble Jewish roots uh, and through Jerusalem that the church is born, that the new Jerusalem uh, comes out of that. And uh, if you go to verses 12 to 14, uh, we won't be able to cover uh, these verses in a great amount of detail. Uh, You get a glimpse of what This new Jerusalem, or this church of the Lord Jesus Christ, will be in the future. Uh, Now, it's described in many ways, isn't it? Uh, It it will be a place of peace, you can see there. Uh, It will be a place of comfort. Uh, It will be a place of flourishing. However, the scene here really changes from that of the maternity ward, which it was before, to that of the nursery and uh, you can see there in verse 12 that uh, the baby uh, that has just been born is being bounced around on his mother's knees. Uh, you've probably done this when uh, you know if if you are parents. But uh, when my children were babies, I used to uh, put them on my legs and uh, raise them up in the air and uh, dangle them up and down. Um, it wasn't very high. Um, you know, I don't have very long legs but uh, for my children, it was almost too much joy to handle as they were being dangled up in the air. Uh, That's the kind of image uh, we get here, isn't it? And so because the future of this new Jerusalem, uh, this church of of the Lord Jesus Christ, is so glorious, uh, God commands his people in verse 10 to rejoice with Jerusalem, It's actually an astonishing thing to say, because when Isaiah write this, remember that the city of Jerusalem was actually looking down the barrel of judgment. Their city was going to be destroyed. And yet he says, rejoice with Jerusalem because of the glorious future that is there for this city, the glorious future that awaits And friends, I wonder whether that is a bit like our situation, Uh, as we wait for the church of the Lord Jesus Christ uh, to come into uh, the full blessings of the new creation. Will you and I rejoice in the present with the church, because we know that one day this church will have a glorious, glorious future? I think it's easy to see the faults of the church, isn't it? I think it's easy to complain about the people in church. Have you ever done that before? I confess I've done it. Certainly I think it's right to mourn when we see people in the church, not trembling at God's word and living the way that he would like. But we often complain and become cynical about the church. However, do we rejoice with the church? Ask God. Are we glad for her? Do we love the people in church? Even when we find people difficult, do we love them and care for them? Because we know that if we belong to the Lord Jesus, then we will together with them face or share in a glorious future. Now, friends, uh, we've seen that God will populate uh, the new creation with those who are humble and contrite in spirit. We've seen that this will happen as the church of Jesus Christ is born. But finally, where will these people come from? Where will these people come from? Uh, Well, you can see there in verse 18 that God will gather his people, not just from Jerusalem, but from the nations and tongues, all nations and tongues, and they will come to see his glory. Uh, In verse 19, God says that he will set a sign among them. Uh, What is this sign? Uh, Well, I think that this sign uh, can be a number of things, uh, but uh, in essence, I think the sign is actually speaking about the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. Later, Jesus will say the words in John chapter 12, and I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. You see, God says that he will put the sign of the cross among the people of all nations and tongues of the earth. And it is as people from all nations come humbly Uh, Contrite in spirit, trembling at God's word, unworthy, and yet thankful for what the Lord Jesus Christ has done for them, that they will become part of the new creation of God. And in verse 19, it is those who have been saved from God's terrible judgment for human rebellion that some of these survivors, some of those who have been saved from the nations, Will be sent by God as missionaries uh, to the nations to declare the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, where will they go? Uh, well, in verse 19, uh, Tarshish uh, is uh, supposedly uh, a, a, a place in Spain, Pool and Lud, um, they think, is in the south of Europe, uh, Chubal is in northern Europe, Javan is in Greece. And the coastlands are the remotest islands that represent the far reaches of the earth. It's not meant to be a a precise description at this point, but it's meant to be symbolic uh, of uh, the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ reaching to the ends of the earth. And further, as these missionaries go to the nations to declare the glory of God, uh, notice that they bring people to the Lord As an offering. It's wonderful that in verse 20, uh, these people from all the different nations of the world are now called brothers together. But the image here is of people streaming in from uh, all different parts of the world, bringing their lives as an offering to the Lord. Uh, Those from cities come on horses and chariots, those uh, from across the mountain come in on mules. Those from across the desert come in on dromedaries, uh, which is another word for a camel, I think. But they all come to the new Jerusalem, to the new creation, and to God himself, like little shavings of iron being attracted to a magnet in order to dwell in this new world forever. Well, friends, uh, what is the big picture of your life. I suspect that there will be no shortage of people who try to sell us a big picture of what this world is all about and where it is heading and therefore what our lives should be about. But here is God's big picture for the world. God says that he's making a new heavens and a new earth. He's going to fill it with people who are humble and contrite in spirit and tremble before him. He will do it through the miraculous birth of the church, of the Lord Jesus Christ, which started humbly with Jewish roots. He will do it as people from all nations and tongues across the world are gathered as God's glory is declared through the good news of the cross that speaks of forgiveness and mercy. For sinful and rebellious people everywhere. Now this is God's picture his big picture and I would suggest that it is something worth living for and something worth sacrificing for. Now, one way that we can do it is to go and be sent by God to other nations in this world. Uh, to go and to tell people the glorious news of the cross in different nations around the globe. Uh, I know that some of us are planning to go to other nations. Um, I know that others of us have the ability to go, but have yet to uh, contemplate going. So maybe today is a day that you start to contemplate uh, whether this might be for you. But if going to another nation to tell people about Jesus seems a little bit out of your reach at the moment, uh, then why not consider going to the four corners of Enfield? Uh, We have a small congregation in Enfield uh, living in an area where there are people actually from many different nations in this world. Uh, Why not think about whether you can go and offer yourself to serve God there. Uh, Today, after morning tea, there's going to be a a short information session uh, where we will be sharing the gospel vision uh, for the suburb of Enfield. And so uh, let me encourage you to come along. Uh, It's going to be in the hall next door, uh, in in one of the little rooms there. Uh, Why don't you come along and listen and consider whether this might be something that you can do. Uh, to take part in God's big picture. But finally, friends, uh, you may have noticed that Isaiah actually ends in quite a shocking way. Uh, Did you notice that? For it doesn't end with a glorious picture of the new creation, but rather it ends with a picture of a gruesome cemetery. Uh, You can see it there in verse 24. And they shall go out... And look on the dead bodies of the men who have rebelled against me. For their worm shall not die, their fire shall not be quenched, and they shall be an abhorrence to all flesh. It's not actually a a warm and fuzzy kind of ending that we might have expected from Isaiah, is it? Uh, It's not what the Hollywood scriptwriters would ever dream of writing. Why would Isaiah end this way perhaps Isaiah ends with this gruesome picture to warn us never to take our salvation for granted it is those who were outwardly religious but inwardly had chosen their own way before God who come to this grisly end and so don't let that be you don't let that be me says God The one to whom I will look, God says, is he or she who is humble and contrite in spirit and who trembles at my every word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, we ask this morning for a humble and contrite heart that trembles at your word. We thank you that your word is good. We thank you that in your word you promise us a new heavens and a new earth and the blessing of satisfaction and peace and comfort for our souls. Thank you that this is the big picture where you are taking this world and so please help us to live in the light of this. Help us to live as those who belong to this world. Give us humble and contrite hearts that seek to not only listen, but desire to obey the things you say. Give us the vision of wanting people from all nations to come to taste and see the goodness of our Lord Jesus Christ. Help us to join Christians everywhere in going into the world, whether that be to the other nations or whether that may be to other places where Jesus is not named. Help us to go to those places to declare the glory of the Lord Jesus. And please show your mercy on many that they may stream to your heavenly city, offering their lives to you. And we pray this for Jesus' sake. Amen.